Well, we're going to be in Romans 12, continuing on in Romans 12, uh, just a little bit here. But before we do, let me uh, get on my knees and let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, in the mighty name of Jesus, we just come before you, Lord. We thank you for your goodness, for your love, your grace, your mercies that endure forever. You said you would join us. You said we're two or more gathered in your name, that you'd be in the midst. So, Lord, we welcome you right now. And Holy Spirit, we're going to need your help. I pray you'd cover this message that you'd minister uh, to all of us here. Give us hearts. You promised your ch- the children of Israel that you do a heart transplant. And so I pray that you do a heart transplant on us. May we draw nearer to you. May we be pleasing to you. May our lives be living sacrifices to you. And Lord, we'll thank you. You're doing all the work for us. It's in the mighty name of Jesus. And all in agreement said, amen. Romans chapter 12. So you didn't know this. Often people come to you and they ask you for something. And I'm going to ask you for something too. I'm going to ask you to help me right now. I'm going to read the, we're going to read the eight verses from Romans chapter 12, verse 14 through 21. I'm going to read the even verses. We have you read the odd verses. It's going to be here on the screen so you can follow and see how you did. The last church was like a choir. Last service like a choir. So you have some people to follow here. Let's go. Romans chapter 12, starting at verse 14. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. And if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will, keep, you will heap burning coals on his head. Amen. You guys did pretty good there. We're going to talk to somebody about being in the choir. Well, my assignment today is the verses 14, 15, and 16. And then uh, Pastor Steve is like the, the pastor. They have these guys that come up and they, after the, there's a, a sacrifice, they come up and clean up. Pastor Steve is going to come up. He's going to bring it home. So I'm going to keep your pins poised. If you will, you know, one of the things that, that happens quite often because of time, the time that we have here, we're not able to always read through a chapter. And even at that, if the Bible wasn't written in chapters and verses, so sometimes there's a crossover. We need to, to go back. And the reason I want to go back is to have a little bit of continuity with what Pastor Rod has been teaching in the past few weeks, continuity. But also I want to draw us to where our hearts need to be right now. I'm going to have you look at Romans 12, verses 1 and 2, before I begin. It's kind of a way of introduction. Here it says this, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Some pressure on us. 
And as I was preparing for this, I'm going to tell you something I come to appreciate. As a matter of fact, that middle worship song we sang, wow, you know, it, was, it made me appreciate the blood of Christ that covers my sin. Paul came to us and he said, you know what? I want you to present yourselves as a living sacrifice. And I began to think about the sacrifice, the Old Testament sacrifice. First of all, you had to bring something to sacrifice to cover your sins. And many times it was a, an animal that was of a certain age. And as I began to think about me, I go, ooh, shoot. It was usually one year old or less. Yeah, I'm an old sacrifice. But thank God for the word because, you know, you can be an old sacrifice as long as your heart is right for God. But I began to think of all the, some of the things the sacrifice had to be. You see, the sacrifice had to be something without spot or without blemish. And what Paul is going to share with us, in, in the, starting with the verses that I have, are some of the blemishes that can occur in our life. See, every time I see the Bible, when I look at scriptures in the Bible, marriage scriptures, let's say in Ephesians 5, when I'm doing marriage counseling, I point to Ephesians 5, it shows the husband and the wife, God's expectations, but he says, here are things that you are going to trip over. And here, when I read these verses here, starting with verse 14, these are things that we can trip over. They're blemishes that we can have. Again, thank, thank the Lord for the blood of Christ that covers our sin. But if I want to present myself to God the way I should, appreciating what Jesus went through, not conforming to this world, as he said in Romans 2, then I have to look at these and take these very seriously. My challenge for all of us here is we look at Romans 12, 1 and 2, am I I willing to be that living sacrifice for God. It's interesting he uses the word living because, you know, the sacrifices in those days, when a sacrifice was put up, the neck was cut, the blood drained, that sacrifice wasn't moving when it was on the altar. And then until the time it was consumed, it wasn't moving at all. For us as a living sacrifice, we're placed on the altar, and guess what? We're like, ooh, this is not a certain mattress. I'm out of here. And we have to keep coming back and dying daily to be a sacrifice for Christ. And these are reminders for us as we go through the scripture. We'll see things that we're supposed to be in view of God's mercy. We're supposed to be a living sacrifice. We're supposed to be, it's a spiritual act of worship to God. We're not to conform to the world. We're not going to do it the way the world does it. The way we're going to do it, and we're going to, we want to know this too about the walk that we're going to have, these things, because the world's going to do it different than us. And it's hard because we're surrounded by people in the world. We're going to be transformed. We're going to renew our minds. And these are things that he's telling us to do as we look at these. Let's look at these, the first verse, my first assigned verse, verse 14. It says, bless those that persecute you. Bless and do not curse. I was thinking about the world's way even with this. You know what? And I can tell you something, you know, it's a struggle to be constantly. Someone comes in and they persecute you and they say something to you, you know, they curse at you. or they, You know, I, I have it. I want, as one of my experiences as a hospice chaplain in the, my first couple of years, I went in and this guy had dementia. I was new to chaplaincy. 
uh, a few, maybe a year in, six months in, I can't remember. And I would go to his house. The first time I went in, the guy was talking about how nice I looked. You know, I dressed a little okay and went in. And, and the next time I went, he was calling me out of my name. He was reminding me because he had gone back in time and he was reminding me of think, he was th- thinking about his own roots. And I can't tell you all the things that he said to me, but even in his, him having dementia, I can't tell you what was going through Pastor Jim's mind and things I wanted to say. Like, oh, no, you didn't. <laughs> but it's conforming to God's thing. And here's the biggest thing about this. Get this. You and I want to be in a position to where it becomes natural to us. Guess, check this out. From the inside out, what comes out of our mouth starts right here. And I want it to be natural in my heart, the way I walk and the way I talk, the way I think about people, what I do. And this is a tough one. It says, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. And guess what? We have an expectation for each other in the church, don't we? This is supposed to be a safe place, but I'll tell you, we have views, we have things that are different than each other. Even if we attend a different church, you know, I can tell you stories about just me and other pastors that I've come across and the way they treated me and looked down at me because of what I do and because of maybe the size of their church. And yet, I'm supposed to keep on, keep on praying for them, keep on praying that I represent God in the right way. Matthew 5.39 says this. Jesus is saying this. But I tell you, do not, res- do not resist an evil person. If someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the other cheek. See, it doesn't matter how you and I are treated. I said, really? Yes, it doesn't matter how we're treated. God gives us gifts. He gives us an assignment. And all we are to do is to carry out our assignment. And if we want an example, we can look to Jesus, right? He came and carried out his assignment. He was being mocked. I think about if, if I was in the position of Christ, just how my mind works. I'm on the, the road. I'm carrying my cross. And I've got people on both sides spitting on me, ridiculing me, doing some things. And I'm thinking, man, I got all this power in me. Some things, I might have stopped that noise right there. Or when he's on the cross himself and he's being mocked, he had the power to come off if he wanted to. Nails would have been flying. That's enough. That's what would happen. The nails are coming out to come down the cross and dealt with it. But not our God. And that's the example that you and I have. And if I'm going to be a living sacrifice, if I'm going to be something holy and acceptable to Christ, I'm going to change the way I'm going to do. I'm going to have a renewed mind. I'm going to be, have godly transformation. And I'm not going to conform to the ways of this world, no matter where I'm, the world that's around me. Verse 15, it says, rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. You know, I know quite often it's easier The second one is probably the easiest thing to do. If you live long enough, you will have gone through your own trials and tribulations, your own pains and things. You may have lost a loved one. You have struggles in your own life to where it's not going to be hard for you if someone else is going through something similar that you've gone through for you to mourn with them. 
to put your arm around them. The most difficult thing may be to approach them. You know how difficult it is when maybe someone loses a, a, the love of their life and it's hard for you to go and say, I know how you're feeling. What do I say? Maybe that's the, the most difficult thing. But as far as the morning goes, you're going to feel something right here. But I'll tell you something that's a little bit different, though, is the rejoicing side. That's not always the, the thing, because a lot of times in the rejoicing side, be perfectly honestly, we're, we're thinking about ourselves. Someone comes to you and goes, hey, brother, yes, I just hit the lotto. And you're thinking, man, I don't have any money in my bank. The lights are off. I'm, it's cold. And you're like, hey, yeah, good, you hit the lotto. <laughs> Rejoice. From the inside out. And God wants it to be a natural thing that you and I do to rejoice with those. Why? Because he's asked us to do it. God gives an example to us, and I love it in the, in the Psalms. Psalms 56.8 says this, and it's not up here on the screen. It's a, a last-minute ad, if you will, so listen to this. It's from the New Living Translation. Something I share often at, at, um, when I'm doing a memorial service. Psalms 56.8 says this, You keep track of all of my sorrows. You have collected all of my tears in your bottle. You have recorded each one in your book. So we saw how God, what God does for us. Can you imagine a bottle for every tear that we shed? Good or bad. And then a book where he writes down why each one was shed. Wow. He really cares about what we're going through, doesn't he? And, and that's something to live up to. That's being the, the living sacrifice that we should be. Proverbs also says this. In Proverbs 27, 17, it says, iron, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. Think about that. That's part of my duty. It sounds like maybe an odd scripture, but it's not when it comes to mourning, because in mourning and rejoicing, I'm there to sharpen them in that. God may have a word for me, even in the rejoicing. God wants me to sharpen one another. Amen. Here's the final scripture in my, in my time here. Verse 16 says, live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Here's the first thing. The A part, living in harmony with one another, means that we are to have the mind of Christ as we live this life with one another. You and I are to have the mind of Christ. We had these, th these bracelets. You probably remember them. Some of you, maybe some of the youngers won't remember those. But the bracelets we used to get, they made a lot of money. Just a simple phrase. What would Jesus do? The mind of Christ. How would Jesus handle a situation right now? Living in harmony means I'm going to put aside things. I'm going to do whatever I can. I desire to be in harmony with my brother. Above everything else, I want to live in harmony. And as I'm moving through living in harmony, I'm not going to be proud. I'm not going to think of myself beyond anyone else. But I'm willing to associate with people of low position. And I'm not going to be conceited. It's a position that's, that's tough at times. And Jesus said this about it. The way that you and I get through this is following the, 
the examples of Christ. The scripture that you're well acquainted with, I'm going to share it from the new, the NIV. It says this, for God, John 3, 16 and 17, for God so loved the world that he gave his, only, his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Talk about harmony. Talking about putting himself aside. That's what Christ did for you and I. He put aside those things. There's things that sometimes live in harmony that we want to raise ourselves up, but the Bible is teaching you and I really to die to self. Amen? Amen. <clears throat> John 15, 12 says this. Jesus said this. This is my commandment. Ooh. Jesus said, this is my commandment. He said, love each other in the same way I've loved you. Talking about harmony, man, that's a heavy weight. When you're wanting to be that living sacrifice, look to the way Jesus did. Look at, see, am I loving in the same manner Christ loved me? Am I giving myself in the same manner? And John 13, 35 says this, by this, all men will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. It's easy for us to say, I'm a Christian. I'm a believer. I love the Lord. I walk in his way. But if I don't love someone the way Christ has, there's a question. Thank God, again, for the blood of Christ that covers my sins. He's a good God. As Pastor Steve is coming up, I'll share just one last story with you. I, um, this past week, as I was leaving Hope City, that we rent from a, a, uh, a church there, and the church we rent from, and I got a notice, and the notice was going gonna, gonna to change some of the, the ways we do business there, possibly. We're going to be talking with them. But as I was thinking about how to minister to, the, to them and share with them about... Um, the people that come to the church and why we have some of the struggles, I began to look in my heart from the inside out. And as I was looking for ways to describe them, and, and I was settling in thinking, you know, uh, I wasn't describing them the way that, in my heart, the way that I should, even in practice. And from the inside out, I saw that they were people just like you and I. They may not do they have their sin behind a, in a warm house, behind a 85-inch Sony TV, meals three times a day, meals in a refrigerator, but they're people of God. Not, and I'm in no place to think of myself higher than them. I'm, I was a sinner covered in the grace of God. Amen. Pastor Steve. Well, like Jim, I'm a former athlete, and I've noticed that the older I get, the better athlete I used to be. <laughs> Legend in my own mind. So, um, Pastor Rod asked Jim and I to share the message, so we're embracing that Jewish tradition of serving the good wine first and then having the cheap stuff come up afterwards, so... 
So for 11 chapters, the Apostle Paul, the writer of Romans, has been teaching, teaching, teaching. You know, what you believe determines whether or not you're a believer. What you believe is very important. But in chapter 12, it's like he flips a switch and he stops teaching about Christian beliefs and starts preaching about Christian lives, Christian living. Our beliefs must translate into our behavior, our actions. Our belief should determine how we carry ourselves. You know, um, oftentimes it's our mood that determines how we act or our circumstances. But if we acted upon our beliefs, what we truly do believe, then we would be living a completely different life. Jesus asked one day, he said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, but you don't do what I say? Right at the conclusion of the Sermon on the Mount, probably the greatest sermon that's ever been lived, there on a hill outside Jerusalem, Jesus makes a clear distinction between people who hear and walk away and people who hear and obey. Between hearers and doers. The test isn't whether you'll say, Lord, Lord. The test is, will you do the will of the Father? Words are no substitute for obedience. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey me. Hearing isn't enough. Studying isn't enough. Even believing isn't enough. Only hearing and obeying makes you a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. In Leviticus, God is instructing Moses in how to set up the sacrificial system. And he he tells Moses that he wants Aaron, his brother, and Aaron's sons to be anointed and ordained as priests. And he instructs Moses to take an animal and kill it, sacrifice it, and take the blood and sprinkle Aaron's right ear, his right thumb, and his right big toe. Kind of weird, huh? But it's as if God is saying, listen, a blood-sprinkled ear isn't enough. It's got to touch the hands and the feet too. It's got to translate into the way you live your life. It must affect your actions and your lives. Jesus' sacrifice needs to be more than just heard or believed even. It needs to motivate us to obey. Jesus clearly taught. He said, if anyone wants to come after me, He must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Romans 12 begins teaching us how to pick up our cross and follow Jesus. It deals with the foundational principles of basic Christianity. Live like your life has been transformed by the grace that we sang about in that second song. Every believer can pretty much say the same thing, hopefully. I'm not the man I want to be. I'm certainly not the man I should be, but thank God I'm not the man I used to be. Because of the grace of God. Because of the sacrificial blood of Jesus Christ. The writer of Romans chapter 12 challenges us to be Christians in our behavior and not just in our beliefs. It's the same challenge that John issued when he said, Dear children, let us not love in word or tongue, but let us love with our actions. Love is not a feeling. Love is not an emotion. You think if I love God, then I'm going to have this warm, fuzzy feeling toward God. No. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey me. 
Love is expressed through our obedience to Scripture. Take up your cross and follow Jesus. The cross represents the cost of discipleship. Salvation is free, but there's a cost to follow Jesus. The cost of being willing to deny ourselves, to not do what our instinct tells us or what our desires are, but to do what Scripture has informed us to do, to put others first even when it hurts, to forgive easily and quickly. Remember in 1 Corinthians 13, Paul told the Corinthian church, love keeps no record of wrongs. It's not easily offended. Do you seek reconciliation when somebody offends you? That's counterintuitive. That's not instinctive. We all want to strike back when somebody strikes us. We all want to offend back when somebody offends us. How do you treat people who are far from God, who don't claim to be a believer at all? How do you treat them? Do you treat them like they treat you? How do you treat believers, Christ followers, who happen to believe differently than we do? Maybe they pray different. Maybe they worship different. You know, the, the scandal of the ages is not the sins of society. It's the disunity of the church. Well, they're not like us, so they're wrong. You know, I know some of my beliefs are wrong. I don't know which ones are wrong or I would change them, but common sense says we haven't garnered the truth in all the generations since Jesus came. We've got it right. How do you treat people who believe they just believe differently than you do? Jesus' orders were very clear to all of us when he said, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. That was no new command. That was sprinkled all through the Old Testament. You're supposed to love people. What was new was the standard of love, as I have loved you. Commanded to love all through the Old Testament. Now that's a new command. How did Jesus love? He loved people unconditionally. He loved people selflessly. He loved people sacrificially. He loved people willingly, and he loved people consistently. That's a new standard of love. Verse 17 says, Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what's right in the eyes of everybody. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it's mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Live at peace with everyone. And I, I'm so glad he included, as far as it depends upon you. Because some people you just can't get along with. You know, that guy that cuts you off on the freeway and then gives you that universal sign of intense disapproval? <laughs> they don't listen. They don't care. You don't have to salute them back. But as far as it's possible with you, make sure if there's conflict, it's not your fault. You're not the source. You're not the cause of the division. That applies to people, like I said, who love Jesus as much as we do, but they act or believe differently than we do. They, they worship maybe different than we do. Maybe they're more uh, expressive in their worship. Maybe they just stand there like they've been hit with hairspray and don't move. 
But it also applies to people who don't follow Jesus, who don't claim the name of Jesus as their Lord, who don't even believe in a God. How do you treat the atheists, the people who have no belief? How do you treat people who are pro-choice? How do you treat people who have a different political persuasion than you do? How do you treat people that have belief in other religions? That's the challenge. And those are the very people that Jesus has told us to love. Love is the antidote for the poison of hate. If it's possible, as far as it's possible, as far as it depends upon you, live at peace. But, you know, we live in a cancel culture where, you know, if you disagree with somebody, they accuse you of hating them, right? You can't disagree with anybody. There's this cry for tolerance in our culture. You have to tolerate what anybody else thinks or how they live or what they believe. Listen. Love is not a substitute for truth. Let me say that again. Love is not a substitute for truth. If you, anything not built on the truth is built on a lie. This cry for tolerance, hey, don't call evil good, and don't call good evil. You know, every, every non-believer in the world knows one verse by heart, and it's 1611 King James English, judge not, lest ye be judged. That's not even biblical. The Bible says judgment begins in the house of God. It says judge one another with a righteous judgment. So we're, we're commanded to judge. Just judge the way God judges. We should never sacrifice the truth in order to keep the peace. James says this, the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere, peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. The wisdom that comes from above is the truth. The truth comes first. It's first pure, then peace-loving. Be at peace with everyone. That doesn't mean just don't jump into unholy wars. That means actively bless people who are your enemies. Actively bless those who curse you. Actively pray for those who do you harm, who offend you. Actively bless your enemies. Grace is undeserved favor. We sang about it today. We are all the recipients of undeserved favor of God. It's called grace. And if we are the recipients of grace, we should be the givers of grace. You're not excusing the offense. You're not excusing the bad behavior. You're just trying to touch somebody's soul. Win them over with kindness. Jesus called it a second mile love. You know, in ancient Israel, when they were occupied by the Roman army, they could be inscripted. In other words, any Roman soldier could go to a, a Jewish citizen and forced them into service. And the thing that they hated the worst was when they get tapped on the shoulder with the tip of a spear, and the Roman soldier sitting on a horse throws his bag down and says, carry my bag for, you, for, for me. They, they so disgusted the Jewish people that they actually made a law that said, by law, you can't force a Jewish citizen to carry a bag more than one mile. <laughs> 
And at the very end of that mile to the very step, they throw that bag down, hoping to break whatever's in it, spit on the ground to show their disgust. But Jesus said, if they tell you to go a mile, go a second mile. All the power is in the second mile. The first mile was duty. That was law. You had to do that. But to willingly carry it a second mile, all of a sudden the guy on the, on the horse is saying, what's different about this guy? Why is he doing something kind for me? He's not like everybody else. He's going the second mile. The power is in the second mile. There's no power in the first mile, but the second mile. A good man will choose rather to suffer evil than to do evil. That's really what Jesus was saying. The only real way to destroy an enemy is not with vengeance. You know how you destroy an enemy? You make him a friend. You do it with kindness. You do it with grace. You do it loving them the way Jesus loved us. You know, everyone says forgiveness is a lovely idea until they have something to forgive. I mean, think about it. If Jesus is telling you to forgive somebody, he's acknowledging that they were wrong and you were right. He's saying forgive them anyway. If you're the one that's wrong, you've got to be asking for forgiveness, not extending it. Well, you don't know what they said about me. You don't know what they did to me. God knows, and he said, forgive them. God called us to be peacemakers, not prosecutors. And then in verse 21, simply wraps up the whole package when he says, don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. You know, in Revelation 2 and 3, Jesus is speaking to the seven churches in, in the, the, the regions. To each one, he gave a promise. And it was a, a promise given to those who overcome. To him who overcomes. To him who overcomes. Seven times, to him who overcomes. Overcome evil with good. Otherwise, you're sucked into the evil. You're part of the problem. If you're actively doing the do's of Scripture, it's harder to do the don'ts of Scripture. You know, if you do the do's, you probably won't do the don'ts. Let's decide today that we're not going to be Christians in our belief or in our words, but we're going to be Christians in our lives, the way we treat people, especially the difficult people. Let's determine today that we are going to embrace every challenge found in Romans 12. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it's so easy to talk a good talk. It's so easy to embrace and even champion forgiveness. And then when we become hurt or offended, it seems like it's so difficult to extend that grace. I pray that would change. I pray, God, that you would expand the boundaries of our heart to be grace givers. Lord, it's so easy to spend all of our time trying to learn what we need to know instead of doing what we need to do. I pray that would change today. And I pray, God, that we would go back and we would revisit Romans chapter 12 as a blueprint for living like a Christian. And I ask that in Jesus' name. Amen.